You're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network with Nikki Stott. I'd like to pay my respects to country and to all the elders, past and present, who've been part of the struggle for so long for sovereignty and self-determination. For more than two decades now, Big Ag and the Gates Foundation have been pushing the controversial GMO product known as golden rice as a so-called solution to food insecurity in the global south. And now this corporate-led campaign is taking advantage of the escalating COVID-19 pandemic-related recession by amping up their hype on golden rice as a solution to the worsening food crisis in the global south. And with the world economy at a near standstill, Big Ag continues to function with global impunity, deepening its impact and harm on communities and ecosystems. This week on Earth Matters, we'll hear episode one of a three-part series featuring concerned activists from the Stop Golden Rice Network based across Southeast Asia and the Pacific speaking at an online forum last week about how the onslaught of corporate-controlled and patented GMO seeds, toxic synthetic pesticides and water-polluting synthetic fertilisers are eroding food security by undermining traditional agroecology and small-scale community-based farming systems. Later in the show, we'll hear from Chris Panerio from the farmer-led network Masipag in the Philippines, who gives us the nitty-gritty on the issues with the golden rice GMO. But first, we'll hear from Kartini Simon from the small farmer NGO network Grain in Indonesia, who provides a comprehensive overview and background information on the corporate agenda behind the philanthropic facade that is the primarily Gates Foundation-funded golden rice project. I'm speaking here from Jakarta, actually, where the COVID pandemic is still hitting hard. And during this this time, we often hear how, for example, COVID pandemic has put us all in the same boat. But today I would like to do a a bit of reality check and to show that we're not actually in in the same boat and how some of the um, big agriculture and food industry are actually benefiting a lot from this pandemic. Corporations have actually getting so much money during this first few months, actually, of the pandemic. So the COVID-19 pandemic, since the first outbreak in China back in December 2019, have now almost hit over 200 countries in the world and affecting over 18 million people and caused 700,000 people die because of the illness. And of course, some countries are actually worse than the others, depend on the situations, depend on how the government are taking measures to try contain the spread of the virus and different aspects of it. But also, this pandemic have shed light to the vulnerable food system because as measures to try contain the spread of the virus, lockdown and quarantine have shut down borders, ports, airport uh, factories, and becomes a reality that uh, people are, are afraid to see that what started as a health crisis led so much to a terrible food crisis that we are experiencing right now. During the first weeks or months of the pandemic, has triggered a panic buying as people who can afford to fill up their pantries and, and kitchens uh, with food supplies that hopefully could last for several weeks as they go into lockdown. But 
that's not the same case with everyone because not everyone afford to do it. Not everyone afford or able to go in a complete lockdown. And also incomes and work have been really slowing down for many people in, in different parts of the world. In May 2020, for example, 1.6 billion informal workers are including farm workers, you know, even migrant factory workers, farmers, street vendors are really in, in dire situations without any safety nets and savings. The number of people who are suffering from acute hunger could increase double by the end of the year from 135 million to 265 million people who are really in, in a really acute uh, state of hunger. If you see situations in the news, um, even in your community, things are, are getting really worse. Actually, in, in the beginning, we see food riots happen in countries like Kenya and Lebanon, where people are fighting over food aid. That's often insufficient. But also farmers, fishers, the pastoralists, for example, in countries like India, in countries like Malaysia or Indonesia, are forced to dump their produce or selling it at a really, really low price because um, the distribution chain and the markets are closing down. So they cannot sell it and they cannot distribute it to consumers, to their main consumers. For example, in, in one area in, in West Java, fisher folks, but also the examples in India, uh, people are turned to the traditional practices of barter where they exchange their food, what they have with others. So people really try to find alternatives to survive in these situations. As people go into lockdown and people are staying inside their houses more and more, the online purchase of food and groceries have increased tremendously. In China, during the first few months of the pandemic, the users of online distributions or online market for food, fresh food and groceries are actually increased almost 200%. And corporations like Amazon's, like Alibaba, uh, like Flipkart are gaining so much profit out of it. For example, Jeff Bezos, the CEO and um, the founder of Amazon's have made 24 billion US dollar personal profit during the first three months of the pandemic with this increased online food distributions. Companies like Nestle even able to pay $8 billion dividend to their shareholders. And also some of the largest meat factories, uh, poultry and pork companies like Tyson and WH Group have shared over 500 million US dollar profit to share. So it's really strange that while global economy at really near standstill, the agribusiness has continued to function with total impunity and deepening its impact on harm on communities and, and ecosystem. Because this profit doesn't come without a cost. You know, we see Some of the worst COVID-19 clusters is actually taking place in meat processing industries in North America, for example, or in supermarkets, in warehouses, in plantations. In Indonesia here, oil palm plantations have requests that their industry are essential to tackle with pandemic because they produce basic ingredients for soap, for 
disinfectant. And so they need to continue doing productions. And the, the situation is really terrible because they kept workers inside the plantations with minimum or proper health protections and not allowing the workers to leave the plantations as to contain the spread of the virus to the surrounding areas. Again, this shows that we are not in the same boat because many of the policies, for example, the lockdown and the quarantine have put farmers and small food producers, the street vendors in a lockdown, but giving permit to food and agriculture industry to continue doing their work and calling it as an essential work. And I think this shows that the situation is, is not the same and this very top-down approach to the health and food crisis that benefiting the food and agriculture industry a lot in this time. One thing that this pandemic could or should tell us is that the world is really in need of a better public health and food system to survive the impact in the long run. We are now in the fifth month of the global pandemic and there's still no sign that it will end anytime soon. Many of the examples of community initiatives and mutual aids during this time around our community, I think everyone um, experienced almost, almost similar how we become more relying on the closest um, neighborhood. The challenge to turn over the current health and global food system that is so centralized in the hand of the, this powerful industry, it remains a challenge. Billionaires like uh, Bill Gates promise more empire and less public service in dealing of basic human needs like food and health. The pandemic itself has made people like Bill Gates achieve a hero-like status, which is interesting because you see in many of the talk shows, they said, ah, Bill Gates already, um, you know, warned us about this pandemic a year or so before. But um, Bill Gates um, fund is funding um, and putting a lot of money in developing vaccines, but also to the biggest private funders like uh, CGIR which is the 15 international um, research center that promote green revolutions across the world. Right now, the Gates Foundations have over 40 billion US dollar endowment that goes to global health and agriculture program. But really the, the, what happened is Gates Foundations um, and billionaires like him have effectively actually privatized international body in charge of creating food and health policy. Transform all this um, public institutions research center into a vehicle for corporate dominance and actually weakening public health and food system. In 2018, the foundation gave uh, over 230 million US dollars to World Health um, Organizations, WHO, for a public-private partnership with some of the largest pharmaceutical companies to provide vaccines that are being uh, produced by those pharmaceutical companies. This current COVID-19 pandemic has been used actually to expand e-commerce and food retailers that rely a lot on, on big agriculture and food, and food industry. 
but also to push ahead with genetic modified crops, where some governments actually openly said that COVID-19 health emergency have made genetically modified seeds a necessity for the country that we need you know, to um, improve our food productions and the best way is through developing um, GM crops. So those are some of the, um, the propaganda that are being put out there as efforts to solve both food and health crisis. Gates Foundations, um, as I said in the beginning, they really like to invest or they really like, not invest maybe in this word, is they really like to give money to global health and agriculture program around the world. And a, uh, almost a quarter of it goes to CGIR research. And CGIR also, um, the, the new Green Revolutions um, program in Africa, and as well as to NGOs, mostly in the West, who were uh, implementing Gates Foundation work in sub-Saharan and in Asian countries. So this is just the agriculture grants that are given out by the Gates Foundations. It's not a small amount of money. It's really a huge amount of money. And even including to some of the international organizations. Why? Because it's not just about giving out money, but it's also about having a say of how the money can or should be used. What is interesting is the Gates Foundations are very interested in putting a lot of attention to global health and nutrition and food programs. But despite this frequent characterizations of Gates giving away his fortune actually to improve the betterment of global food and, and nutrition, um, health and nutrition, his net worth, his profits, is actually double in the last two decades. And what's interesting is almost food-related investment goes exclusively to the fast food industry. So there's a contradictions of what he was saying and what he's really doing, saying that the nutrition efforts focus on, on improving and developing better tools and strategies uh, providing nutrition uh, for women, children um, uh, with food and nutrition that are needed, but the investment shows differently. Uh, $2.2 billion to Coca-Cola, another um, several hundred to McDonald's, to PepsiCo, and also Gates Foundations have invested $1 billion um, investment in Walmart and another $23 million shares in, in Monsanto. So you see how um, Gates Foundations really support um, a lot of this big ag and you know food industry through its investment, and the amount of return investment is a lot bigger than than what he's giving to all of these uh, philanthropic foundations. You're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. CGIR is um, one of the biggest uh, recipients of funds from the Gates Foundations. And interestingly, uh, after Green Revolutions, actually um, in the mid-1990s uh, or, uh, or so, CGIR realized that they need to improve the nutrition value of people because it's, it's not enough that you, you provide food, but the nutrition is not sufficient, you know. 
So um, at that time, they were going on this flagship project across 15 international uh, research centers of CJR to, to develop the biofortified crops. Uh, biofortified crops itself is uh, said to increase nutritional value of a handful of crops. So rather than relying on various diversified food that's available in nature, diversified your um, diets with uh, vegetables and other source, they decided that it's best to increase nutritional value and to jam pack in, in, a, in a handful of, of crops, maize, for example, sweet potato, rice, banana. So it's really a monocrop that they still support a large scale monocrops, but how to um, insert, you know, nutrition inside of it. And so far, I think after a few decades, almost 20 decades of trials and error, uh, I think um, it's still a, que- a big question mark whether it is have more benefit or is it really um, trying to to control food productions and to monopolize it. Basically, CGIR spends 500 million US dollar on biofortifications development alone since 2002, and of that. 100 million US dollar is spent on developing the genetically modified rice that high in pro vitamin A, or known as golden rice, that we will hear later. Um, Chris Panerio from Massipak will talk more about, uh, about golden rice. And another 21 million US dollar was spent on program to develop GM cassava that's high in iron, zinc, and pro vitamin A. What is interesting is Iron, zinc, and provitamin A seems to be the only focus for CJR. So it's not really, you know, why don't you improve all these different nutritions in, in different crops? No, they just choose this three micronutrient, even though our body needs more or less 40 different micronutrients to stay healthy. And that actually comes from diversifying our food. But um, I think it's it's the easier the easier uh, type to choose um, to develop into to uh, in the biofortified crops. Between 2009 and 2016, Gates Foundations actually spent 69 million US dollar on biofortified sweet potato in Africa, and 80% goes to the CJR International Potato Center, and also to develop genetically modified vitamin A banana that will target um, Uganda for the consumption that was developed by the university in Australia. Of course, um, at this time, there's a lot of challenge as well. The same as what we are experiencing here, communities, uh, farmers, consumers are challenging golden rice. The same fight actually happened in countries like Uganda, where they challenge GM banana, pro-vitamin A banana. So I think the questions on why are you, you know, uh, corporations like billionaires like Gates are putting so much money into it, you know, the international scientific establishment is increasingly funded by private interests like Gates. And beyond this hype of golden rice or super banana that until now, it's not proven to be 
the quality of the, the level um, of nutrition inside that, that I, I, I know Chris will explain a lot more on this. There's a corporate agenda that actually deepened the privatizations of food and agriculture by exploiting the issues of hunger, of malnutrition and public health. And it comes from a very Western perspective that, okay, we know better for you. <laughs> That's the way it is, uh, sort of. So they've been trying to implement this in countries in Asia, in Africa, that, oh, you have uh, all this um, hunger problems, you have all these health problems, you have malnutrition with children. But the problem is they don't listen to the communities, they don't listen to um, what women, uh, or traditional knowledge of, you know, improving nutrition that um, that's, you can find in, in nature diverse uh, vegetables that are abundant um, in nature. I think this is also um, the way to show that how much they want to control the policies around food and health uh, worldwide. So the food and health, I would say, is it's an interlinked problem. You know, you need food to stay healthy. Um, you need uh, nutrition and um, diversified and affordable food for all. It's not just for those who can pay, but it is an, a basic issue that you really need to work together as the community. And the, the pandemic shows that the centralized food productions and food distributions are unable or do not have the capacity to feed us with safe food and with healthy food. What happens when borders are closing down? What happens where cities you know, ports are not functioning um, when the factories stop producing food that's sold in the supermarket. But the community thrive. Um, you know, you see <clears throat> experience everywhere. You know, people uh, building solidarity uh, between urban and rural and finding whatever ways means that they can share food with the neighborhood between areas, you know, and then if you see local government try to implement that in a smaller scale, it brings a lesson learned in seeing how the, the structures of the global food system right now, when you put too much power in, in one hand, it just doesn't work, you know, when things like this happen and you cannot distribute food anywhere you want in the world, or what happened uh, where your local farmers unable to produce anymore. So to solve the problem like this, we can't really rely on a single hand of billionaires like Bill Gates. <laughs> but of course we need to rely, and I think examples from different people have shown, farmers movement have really shown experience from solidarity efforts that being built that millions of small food producers, local market and diversified food is really something that we need to rely more if we want to solve this health and food crisis that we're having right now. So uh, first, I will bring you back to the history of golden rice. No? Golden rice was developed by uh, first by Ingo Potraikos, a Swiss uh, genetic engineer together with, in collaboration with Peter Bayer, uh, with the objective of addressing the problem of vitamin A rice in developing countries, no? uh, especially in the Philippines and Bangladesh. However, in the last nine years, already $130 million have been expended 
to support the development of golden rice with very little results, positive results to show. So with the objective of fully addressing vitamin A deficiency, one important observation in golden rice is the low and unreliable levels of beta-carotene. Thus, IRI continuously had continuously improved on this aspect from using daffodil, the one uh, used by uh, Ingo Patricus, to corn as gene source of beta-carotene. In uh, 2016, an average increase of 3.57 micrograms per gram in beta-carotene from the initial level of 1.6 microgram per gram was attained. With these results, the Director General of IRI, Matthew Morel, had recently modified the original objective of uh, developing golden rice by saying that the beta-carotene content of golden rice aims to provide they used to say uh, as an answer to, to vitamin A deficiency, health conditions suffered by many lactating women and uh, young children. Now they are saying that uh, they have modified their objectives, that the recently developed uh, golden rice GR2E1 will be able to provide only 30 to 50% of the estimated average requirement of vitamin A for pregnant women and young children. Those uh, admitting the shortcomings of this GM product, which is foisted among rice-eating uh, communities in many countries in Asia, and even in, in developed countries because of the migration no, of many uh, Asian uh, people to developed countries in the U.S., Australia, Canada, and in Europe. So these Asian communities are also important markets for rice in the future. From 2010 to 2017, Golden Rice Research Funds are being poured to IRI by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation with the same objective of addressing vitamin A deficiency in a wider coverage. They are saying that money is being poured into this uh, research, no? great, great amount of money, from 100, uh, 130 million US dollars provided by initially by IRI and the Rockefeller Foundation. In 2010 to 2017, $10 million has been added by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to promote and develop further this golden rice. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. Today on the show, we heard episode one of a three-part series featuring concerned activists from the Stop Golden Rice Network based across Southeast Asia and the Pacific, speaking at an urgent online forum last week to commemorate the International Day of Action Against Golden Rice. This week's guests included Kartini Somon from Grain at Grain.org and Chris Panero from Marcipag at Marcipag.org. Stay tuned for episode two, where we'll hear more from Chris, as well as Sarjini Rengam from Pesticide Action Network Asia Pacific and Neff Dano from Etc. Group. And you can find our Earth Matters podcast, including today's show at 3cr.org forward slash Earth Matters. And if you're already listening via a podcasting service, we'd love you to subscribe. And why not rate us and give us a review to help spread the word? Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their generous support and the Community Radio Network for all their hard work in getting this show out to you. Earth Matters is produced with the support of 3CR Community Radio in Fitzroy, Nam, and we can be contacted at 3cr at gmail.com. And you can also find us on your socials. That's all for this week, so tune in next week for more environmental and social justice stories.
genocide here is a lot more sneaky than it is in Rwanda or other places around the world. It's one thing white fellas learnt in the last 200 years to be very sneaky about their genocide. You look at the 38 nations that were here before white settlement and then you count up the numbers that are still surviving, still out there doing their business on their country. Well, there's only 25 left, so what happened to the other 13? Let's talk about the Black GST. Genocide to be stopped, sovereignty acknowledged and treaties made. Tune in to Fire First every Wednesday from 11am till 12 midday on 3CR with Robbie Thorpe. Thank you. Those people who have no land rights haven't got justice, but neither do those people who have land rights have justice. You're listening to Community Radio Network around Australia, brought to you by 3CR Community Radio. So stay tuned as we bring you news, live updates, music and interviews with Aboriginal people from around the country. The only free body we have is the Aboriginal government on the grassroots and the Aboriginal embassy on the lawns outside the old parliament house. We will not go away. And as that stone rests in that mountain, and as our spirit rests in this country and over this country, we will not go away. Neither shall our power pass. And that's here forever until justice comes. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.